This is the time when we dismiss the kindergarten first graders, if you guys want to do that. And while they're headed out, I want to be the second to say to you all, Happy Father's Day. I, too, am a father of three, Hannah Grace, who's seven, Jack, who's four, and Sam, who is one and a half. And I'm excited about celebrating Father's Day, and I don't know what traditions you have in your family, but I hope this will be a great day to celebrate that. Uh, Today, I wanted to begin by asking this question. Have you ever been in a situation or in a conversation where everything was going just fine, and then all of a sudden, it kind of took a turn, and it really began to challenge your convictions as a Christian? Something like that happened to me uh, a couple of years back. I'd gone up to Richmond, Virginia to see some of my closest friends because uh, my friend Stephen was getting married. And so I was one of the groomsmen in the wedding, and a bunch of the other groomsmen were getting together, and it was the day before the wedding. And, man, it was just like old times. We went over to Danny's house, and we played backyard football because we always played backyard football at Danny's house. And, man, things were going just great. And then we came inside and sat around in his den like we always do. And that's when things took a turn. Because you see, all of a sudden, I heard Sam say, all right, gentlemen, I'm going out to get the black bag. And a couple folks cheered. But I didn't. Because I knew what was in the black bag. And it was DVD after DVD of material that I know is totally unsuitable for anyone who's claiming to follow Christ. And so as he comes back in, what do you do? What do you, how do you respond in a situation like that? I mean, what would you be feeling at that moment? I mean, do you just quietly slip out? Do you say, well, maybe this isn't that big a deal? I mean, maybe you're a people pleaser, and you can sense how hard it would be to make an unpopular statement or decision at that time. I mean, what is a Christian to do in situations like that? See, I realized something really important that day about my faith. And it's this. See, I knew what the Lord commanded regarding sexual immorality. The question was not, do I know what he commands? The question was, will I obey what he commands? And it's a simple yes or no question that we're going to face all the time. Because situations urging you to disobey God's commands are going to creep up, crop up when you least expect it. I mean, there's going to be a situation where a group of people are standing around. They're maybe gossiping about someone else. And heaven forbid, but it might even happen in that foyer. And you're going to find yourself in the middle of it. And how do you respond? God bless you who work out in the secular world. I know you find yourself in situations where you're tempted to cut corners, where you're tempted to lower the bar on your integrity for personal advancement. Because after all, everyone around you is doing it. And that temptation is there. How do you respond? When you're alone with your computer and you're just a click away from such a seductive danger, how do you respond to those things? Most of us here know what the Bible commands regarding gossip, dishonesty, or immorality. But how do we respond? Well, as we study the scriptures today, we're going to see that John addresses believers with questions very similar to this, similar to our questions. And what does he tell them? He tells them we must obey his commands. 
And now you might be saying, whoa, whoa, Mr. Seminarian, you know, this is not Pharisee training here, okay? What happened to grace? Okay, boy, all this talk about uh, obedience, obedience, whatever happened to grace? And if you ask me that question, I would say, that's a great question. Because we need to know where grace fits in this puzzle of our faith. And where does obedience fit? Do we take out the obedience piece of the puzzle and put in grace? Is that how it works? Does grace mean that we just don't have to obey because he'll just forgive us? By no means. Grace doesn't mean that you don't have to obey. Grace means that you can obey. You're free to obey. Why? Because the Spirit of God is living in you. That's how you even have the ability to obey to begin with, because of God in you. And that brings us to this puzzle piece of obedience. Where does that fit for the Christian? And that's another great question, because it's important to get something straight right from the get-go here whenever you hear the O word. You cannot start at obedience the load will simply break your back. Your obedience to his commands does not lead to knowing Christ. But knowing Christ leads to obeying his commands. Think about Exodus. God did not look at the people in Egypt, give them the Ten Commandments and say, if you obey, I'll take you through the Red Sea. No, he chose his people. He saved them from Egypt. He said, you will be my people and I will be your God. The relationship has begun and now you have the commands. And that's the biblical pattern that we see throughout the scriptures. And getting that order straight is so pivotal to the Christian faith. And I'm going to try to remind us throughout our time this morning that that's a key. That the starting point is always Jesus Christ. So the motivation for our obedience to God That is a pivotal piece of our faith. And in the scripture for today, John does not hold back in telling his audience to obey God's commands, but he also includes the proper motives to start from. Our obedience must be based on three things. It must be based on our relationship with the commander. It must be based on our knowledge of his word. And it must be based on an understanding of his love. So the first of those three, our obedience to God is based on our relationship with him. See, that's the important disclaimer right away. We are not like the Pharisees who followed rules in order to point to themselves for personal prestige. No, we obey his commands because we know the commander. Obedience simply displays our intimacy with Christ. Obedience flows from him, not to him. Or perhaps you could say it first flows from him and then back to him. Look at verse 3. And by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. This is how we know we know him. We know that we know him when we walk as he walked. Notice the order. Keeping his commands is a byproduct of our relationship with him. So John is writing into this Gnostic culture uh, that is that talks a lot about knowing God through reason and wisdom alone, Gnostic, Gnosis, knowledge. That's how they think. But John says, if you really know God, then obedience will be a byproduct of your life. 
Also, obedience also increases our intimacy with Christ. It displays our intimacy with Christ, but it also increases our intimacy with Christ. And the longing for intimacy with God is something that has certainly been a characteristic, a human characteristic across time and culture, uh, across history and continents. We see it everywhere because we're hardwired with that longing. It was true then and it's true now. And John warns us in verse 4 of the false picture, whoever says I know him but does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. Remember, remember the grace example? If, if we're just thinking, well, he, he'll forgive us. It doesn't matter what I do. John is confronting that by saying, if we say we know him, but we don't care to keep his commands, well, there's a lie in there that needs to be teased out. But on the other hand, verse 5 suggests that when we keep his word, the love of God is truly being perfected in us. Not pharisaical. John's letter reminds us that true intimacy with God involves obeying his commands. So maybe this illustration will help if you can picture a tandem bike, okay? And we are tempted to think of our relationship with Christ this way, that we're on the front of the bike and he's right there behind us. And, man, he is the source. He's helping us go. We have this illusion of intimacy with him because he's right there with us. We can hear him, but guess what? That's not the right picture because we're in charge. The best picture would obviously have Jesus in the front seat of the bike and us in the back. After all, he is the one who invited us to ride. And this also portrays the true picture of obeying him. We obey him because we are united with him. We go where he goes. And there may be times when we have to hold on for dear life. But that's what he wants. Because clinging to him provides intimacy with him. And it also clearly portrays who's in charge. So I wonder, for you, is there a place or a practice where you experience deep intimacy with Christ? When was the last time you had that, that rich experience of really um, communing with him? Because wherever that was, I would so encourage you to lean into that. Because your union with God will flow into obedience with him. I mean, is there a sin or a struggle or a snooze button that keeps you from that deep intimacy with Christ? From that time? I would encourage you to eliminate any hindrance that's going to prevent you from that intimacy with him. Because the hindrance that prevents your intimacy with him is going to prevent you from obeying his commands. And I would also ask, what does is, what is the practice of confession look like in your life? That's something that we do corporately on Sunday together. But I think that's a pivotal practice. And this is why. is because when we confess our sins to him, we're reminded that grace flows from God not to him. We, we, we cry mercy. And we remember that he is mercy. And it, again, it fosters that intimacy with him. And, and it gives us that true picture of, uh, of how our relationship with him proceeds and encourages us to obey what he commands. 
So if our obedience is born out of our relationship with him, it leads us to our next point, and that's that we must obey his commands based on our knowledge of his word. Why? Well, simply put, we must know his word if we're going to obey it. This is why John points them back in verse 7 to the command that you had from the beginning. This is the word that you have heard. This book is the authoritative book and rule for our life. And really, not just for our life, but for the entire world in many respects. And there are two important points here. First, we must know the scriptures. This explains why John, John points back to an old commandment that reflects the unchanging nature of God as it shaped countries and continents throughout history. Legal systems of many countries have been based on the truths contained in this book, and it should be shaping us because we've had it from the beginning. As he says in verse 7, they've heard it before, perhaps in Deuteronomy 11.1. 1. Love the Lord your God and keep his requirements, his decrees, his commandments always. And this is a real affront to the culture that they lived in because they had a real attraction to new ideas, kind of like the culture that we live in. So John is calling them back to this old commandment. Paul Phillips reminded us when he first spoke, his first sermon on 1 John, about what Jeremiah said, return to the ancient paths. We must make every effort to know these scriptures because, point two, we must show the scriptures and that explains why John calls it a new commandment. You know, animal sacrifice for sin, well, that's as old as Genesis, that concept. But the idea of a savior, a righteous man, being the atoning sacrifice for sin, well, now that's something new. Love your enemy? See, this is why John calls it a new commandment. It's a timeless truth, an old commandment, but it's going to look new as you put it into practice in your lives, in your context, in your situation. And it's also new because now they have been united with Christ, like we spoke about earlier. They've been united with Christ, and so they have been infused with the Holy Spirit. That's the new thing that's in him and in you. And this enables us to show the scriptures to the 21st century by obeying them in relevant ways. And that's how we point them to the scriptures. And so what does it look like to take the scriptures that we know and to demonstrate them currently in our lives? Well, again, I think of, of this picture. I, I have a friend who owns a jewelry store, and his job is to sell diamonds. And there's a couple of ways that he could do that. He could take his clients, and he could put them in an airplane and fly them to South Africa and take them down to the mines with a flashlight, and they could look at diamonds that way. But thankfully, my friend is shrewder than that. And so instead of uh, doing something as inefficient as that, he purchases the diamonds, brings them over to his, this, the, his store in America, and then he takes them and he polishes them, and he puts them on black and maroon velvet, and he spends the standard $25,000 on lighting. $25,000 on lighting alone. Why? The whole reason of demonstrating the beauty that he knows those gems possess. You see, the word that we have heard, that we have had from the beginning, that's the diamond of the scriptures. And we must place it in our lives in a way that shows its true beauty. 
So we must ask ourselves, how well acquainted are we with this gem? We must get to know the scriptures before we can show them to others. You know, we live in the most biblically illiterate culture of all times. But not so with you, Christ community. Let's reverse that. Let's reverse that by knowing the scriptures. You know, when I was in young life and working with these college students, I tended to notice that every now and then there are certain college students that, that seemed, or certain leaders, that seemed more mature than the others. That, that had a more robust faith. And uh, there was a couple of maybe reasons why, but I noticed one thing that was consistent among all those people who came across as more mature. One of the things that was consistent was they memorized Scripture. They knew the Word. They were in the same classes, same age, same stuff as the other college students, but they knew His Word. And it had an effect on their lives. And when we develop a practice to know the Scriptures, it'll show up in our lives in the same way, and it will lead us to obey His commands joyfully. And there's so many ways that we can saturate saturate ourselves in the Scripture. By playing it in our car, from a CD. I've seen people have it on their iPhone. You have it on your iPod. I mean, there's just, in our technological day and age, there's a million ways to do it. And if you're not technological, then you can do what my friend does and write down verses on an index card and, and place them around the house. We have so many opportunities. Unlike so many um, people in the past, the fact that we have such access to his word, we have no excuse for not knowing it. And when we know the scriptures, we can show the world the beauty of the scriptures by obeying his commands. Okay, so we've said we must obey his commands and that our obedience must be based on a relationship with the commander. And that's where we must always begin. And it leads us to obey him based on a knowledge of his word. And where does knowing his word lead us? Well, it leads us to obey his commands based on an understanding of his love. So before I can love others, I have to understand his love for me. And when I understand his love for me, that he who knew no sin became sin, that I might become the righteousness of God, that, that if I sin, I have an advocate with the Father. Yes, Jesus Christ, the righteous. That Jesus, who, who didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing and became obedient to death, even death on a cross for me. I have to understand that love. And when I do, then I can truly love my brother. And that's the first point here, to truly love our brothers. Clearly, we're to walk in the light. And and to do that, we're going to have to love our brothers and sisters in a clear and tangible way. Note verse 10, it says, Whoever loves his brother abides in the light. There it is again. He's remaining in the light. He was in the light before he loved his brother. Verse 9 says it in the negative. If you hate your brother, you are in the dark. Well, Jesus Christ is our example. And he came to serve, not to be served, but to give his life as a ransom for many. 
And you cannot love your brother as Christ has loved you apart from Christ. But when we understand his love, we can also lead our brothers and sisters. And so that's why verse 10 says, Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. Verse 11 gives the contrast by saying that hating our brother indicates that we're in the dark without God. So note that John is addressing this Gnostic belief, the belief that you can become enlightened by what you know about God, by knowledge, by reason, by wisdom. You know, so this language would have been very offensive to the culture he was speaking into because he's saying, hey, by the way, the true light, as opposed to yours, uh, is already shining. You may think you're in the light, but you're not. And any attempt to lead someone is like leading someone through the darkness. And it can be catastrophic. And so I want to give you a picture of that, of that catastrophe, of how catastrophic that can be. That would be a better way to say that. So the Bible gives us a picture of two men. Here's the first one. The Bible calls him a, a rich young ruler, doesn't give him a name. But we know he's a man who's very wealthy, he's young, he's powerful. And he came and he found Jesus. And in this short conversation with Jesus, we learn that, boy, he knows the commands. And not only does he know them, but he's kept the commands. Sounds like a pretty good guy. Yet he comes and he asks Jesus, what must I do? Is there something else I must do to inherit eternal life? Something's still missing. And Jesus says, come, follow me, and give your life away. And the Bible says that he walked away sad. See, he was going the wrong way. He was trying to love Christ apart from Christ. He was trying to start at obedience and get to Christ. The Bible gives us another picture of a man who was also wealthy and powerful, yet there is no indication that he had any real care or concern for the laws of God. Yet Jesus found him and said, I'm going to have dinner with you tonight. And as a result of that, Zacchaeus overobeyed the commandments in joy because of this relationship. And it spilled over to other people in such a wonderful way. In this short time, he understood the extravagant love of Jesus. And it impacted him to obey the commandments in a way that blessed his neighbor. I will repay four times what I took. Think if you were one of Zacchaeus's friends. When you saw Zacchaeus, when he was returning that money to you, you would see a changed man. And here's something that really encourages me. Right now, there are 20-some high school students from Wilmington, North Carolina, headed up to Lake Champion on this Young Life trip. And they're surrounded by their Young Life leaders. And those Young Life leaders are changed people. God has reached out and changed their life. And those high, and it's spilling over into the lives of those high schoolers. I'm encouraged because right now there are members of Christ Community Church in Haiti. And it's the same thing. They are changed people. And as they serve and minister to the people in Haiti... The God has changed them, spilling over into the lives of the people there. And you know, you are being watched too by your co-workers, your neighbors, your family. And so that causes me to ask the question, am I a changed man? 
Are they seeing someone like Zacchaeus, whose obedience is based on, is preceded by this love for God and an understanding of his love for me? Or are they seeing a rich young ruler who's following the commands, but not the commander? Well, of course, there's a very real danger in preaching a sermon like this. The temptation might be to go out and to just try to obey every imperative you can find in the Bible and become a first-rate Pharisee. But I hope that it's echoed through here enough that obedience to God comes from God. We must remind ourselves that obedience is the byproduct, not the starting point. John is clearly saying that obedience to his commands is important. But our reasons for obedience are even more important. What do we say they were? Our obedience must be based on our relationship with the commander, on our knowledge of his word, and on an understanding of his love for us. So, back to my friends. As uh, the DVD is about to enter the DVD player, I know, I don't know what to do, but I've got to do something. And so, I said in the kindest voice I could muster, gentlemen, we're here together to celebrate Stephen's wedding tomorrow. Can't we find a better way to celebrate that and to encourage him than this? And there was some uh, discussion back and forth, momentary. And uh, as it turned out, they decided to have a Halo tournament instead. And I've never been so thankful for uh, a Halo tournament, which is a video game you play, you know, on, uh, I don't even know what it is, Nintendo 64 or something. But, um, sorry, that goes to show you how behind the times I am on that technology. <clears throat> but when that happened, I got up and I walked into the kitchen and I began to try to pray because I just was feeling so many things. I was still nervous. I was still concerned about what they might be thinking about me. I was embarrassed um, before God because I realized how much their opinion mattered to me. I was sorry that I was clumsy, but I was joyful that I was still there. And an amazing thing happened. A couple of other guys wandered into the back of the kitchen and complimented my boldness. And they humbly asked about what prompted my outburst, and they even expressed gratitude. I thought, what? I thought everybody there was going to hate me. So I talked briefly about how my marriage was indebted to the truths of Scripture and that uh, the Scriptures had given light to my marriage and my life and my understanding of my uh, relationship with God. And uh, they expressed just how grateful they were that they didn't have to succumb to the crowd. So I discovered that day that an attempt at obedience can proclaim a message with more force than I realized. And I can tell you many, many stories about my failures to obey his commands. And I'll probably have another before I get to the donut table. But I hope this illustration encourages you because uh, more important than the people who know the truth, than more important than being people who know the truth, we must be people who do the truth. And if we're, if we're going to obey his commands, it must always and in all ways begin with the commander.
So on that note, let's pray. In the beginning, God, these are the first words of your word. And that's always where it starts. Lord, would you draw us to yourself? Would you draw us to your word? Would you reveal your deep, extravagant love for us that we may obey your commands exuberantly like Zacchaeus. Lord, the same is true with the tithes and offerings that we're about to take. We're not tithing for something. We're tithing from something. It's from our relationship and our knowledge and our intimacy with you. Would you continue to draw us to yourself, we pray, in the name of Christ. Amen.